0: We are going to be continuing on our journey here. We kind of left off last week as Jesus was reminding his disciples that there was soon coming a time when they were going to be handed and entrusted his ministry. When they were going to continue the ministry without his physical presence. To this day, they've just been doing everything that he said to do and kind of following his example and asking a lot of questions. And he was reminding them that soon he wasn't going to physically be there with them any longer. However, he also gave them a promise. God always gives us a promise. His promise is a placeholder that we call hope. It fills that space between what we're experiencing now and what his promise is has declared, hope fills that gap so that we don't become brokenhearted and discouraged and disgruntled. He gives us hope. And he gave them this promise that they were to stay and to wait. You see, this, today is Pentecost Sunday, of course, and we are so incredibly blessed to be living in the days of the promise fulfilled. That God would pour out his spirit on all people. And we don't want anyone to miss out on that experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't want just an infilling of the Holy Spirit one time. We want a constant flow of the Spirit flowing in to fill our lives and flowing out into those around us. Salvation is a free gift to everyone who asks for it in faith. And it's no different with the uh, gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a free gift Jesus said if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. He's not going to uh, give you a snake if you ask for a fish or a rock if you ask for bread. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him for it. We want to be overflowing with the Spirit of the living God. We want his fire baptism so badly so that it burns away our old self and our old desires so that all that is left is that new creation that he has designed within us. For Jesus' disciples, however, we're living in the days of the fulfilled promise. They were living in that time between, the time between the promise and the fulfillment. They had a journey to take. There was a season of waiting and uncertainty for them it was 50 days. We know it's Pentecost, right? So We knew when, we now know when it was coming, but they had no idea. Jesus didn't say when it was coming. He just said, wait for it. He said, I'm going to give you a gift, and they really didn't know. They've never how do you know what to look for to receive a gift when you've never received it before and you don't know what it is and you don't know what to expect? You don't know the signs to look for. Jesus just said you'll know it. And I'm pretty sure when I read the book of Acts, they figured it out, didn't they? <laughs> when there's this sound of rushing wind and there's fire on your head, that'd be so much fun. There's fire on your head. Like, I can't wait to see it. It's going to happen here in this place. We're going to be seeing flames on each other's heads. Like, woo! it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait for it. And even greater things, right? is Jesus said, even greater things will we experience. But there was a journey that they had to make, and it was a challenging one. It was a dangerous one. Their lives were at stake. Their lives were literally on the line. It was an emotion-filled one, and Jesus was concerned for them. As I ended last week, I posed that question. Jesus was wondering, would they have the courage and the strength and the faith to stay the course, to continue the journey without His physical presence? Would they obey Him and stay and wait for the gift that He had promised? Would they be able to do it? And out of His concern, He told them just a few simple words, in just those few simple words, everything that they needed to know to make it to the end of that journey and to receive the fulfillment of the promise everything they needed to know about what would lie ahead of them, and all the challenges and uncertainty. And they didn't understand at the time, but they they came to understand it because those words became a light to their feet, became a light to their path, as God's Word promises it will be. And those same simple words are the answer for each of us as well. And we're going here to the Scriptures in John chapter 14. If you want to sort of get ahead of me here, we're going to read from John chapter 14, starting right at verse 1. And this is where Jesus explained to them the way that they were to take on their journey. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, then also believe in me. And then he started speaking prophetically to them so that they would get sort of excited and and look forward to uh, his departure. He said, my father's house has many rooms. Back in the 90s, when I was first saved, there was this group called Audio Adrenaline, and they had this song, Father's House, you know? It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Big, big table with lots and lots of food. Like, it's my Father's house. Yeah. That's what Jesus is talking about here. My Father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, then would I have told you that I'm going there, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, won't I also come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am? You know the way, and you know the place where I'm going. I don't know how you all have been in, in your faith, but there have been a lot of times when I've had this conversation with God, where I ask him a question, he's like, you know, you already know. And I do this with my kids every now and then, too. They, they, are, they do know. They know. They have forgotten Or they just don't quite get it. It hasn't clicked yet. They don't understand. This is the conversation that Jesus is having with them. He's like, you know the way. You know the place that I'm going. But then Thomas said to him in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And you may be wondering that in your own faith journey and life journey. I don't know what's going on now. I don't understand what's happening to me. I don't know where I'm going, so how do I know the way? And Jesus is like, well, you already know. You know the way. You may not realize it, but all of us here this morning, we know the way. This, the, the, the suspense from last week shouldn't have been that suspenseful, but it was. But just like his disciples, we know the place to where Jesus has gone, and we already know the way to get there. In fact, Jesus answered them with this simple phrase. He said, I am the way. So that's the answer from last week's suspenseful question. Jesus said, I am the way. That simple phrase gave them everything that they needed to know to take that journey through life. And it's so, we've made it such a cliche saying. We've put it above, you know, our couches and living room decals. And we got t-shirts and hats, you know. Jesus is the way. You know, we got little cute songs, you know, one way. Jesus. You know, we, but, but I think we've watered down the meaning of this. It's everything that we need to know for the journey of life. You don't need to know what tomorrow holds. You don't need to know what the next hour holds. It's okay for all that to be uncertain. You don't need to understand what is happening to you right now. All that you need to know is Jesus. You need to know Jesus. I mean, really, really, really know him. And this is what Jesus reiterates here. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You're going to face a lot of facts in life that don't line up with God's truth. You're going to face a lot of things in life that don't line up with God's plans and purposes for you. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need miracles. That's why we need his word and his promises. We need his truth to trump our facts. His truth that trumps everything that we're dealing with in life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's pretty self-explanatory. He's the only way to life. The only way to receive eternal life. The only way to receive a new life here and now that we don't want to miss out on. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Jesus goes on here in verse 7. He said, if you really know me, then you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. You see, because this is the key. Really, really knowing Jesus is, is the key to fulfilling your life's journey. It's the key to stop flying into fits of rage and to start manifesting peace in your household. It's, he's, it's the only way to, um, to, to, you know, to do anything good in life, to fulfill anything that God is calling you to do, is to really, really, really know Jesus. Because you can know a lot of things about somebody, but not really know them, right? It's possible. It happens every day. To really, really, really get to know Jesus is to have a confidence and a boldness that no matter what comes your way. You have this assurance that you're never alone. That that I'm where I need to be. And if I'm not where I need to be, Jesus is going to redirect me. He's the way. He is it. He's he's everything that you need. Knowing the heavenly Father in a personal, intimate way, so much so that you know his thoughts. That you know his attitudes toward things. You know the way that he would respond and behave. You, you know his attributes. Jesus is the only way to know those things. Jesus said, I am the way. He is the way. It's such an easy to quote verse. It's so cliche. But there's so, so, so much more that God wants to reveal to us through that. If we just have his eyes to see it and ears to hear it. There's so much depth and richness to this simple phrase that Jesus is the way. That he's the way to you fulfilling your life journey. And it's like I want to say it in such a better way, but I can't think of words. It's just you have to experience it, you know? Jesus is the way. In fact, with Jesus, um, this was prophesied in Isaiah. Sorry, I had to throw a little Mandalorian in here. It says the way. Whether you turn to the right or to the left... Your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. See, some of us struggle in one of these areas. Either we really don't know Jesus, we maybe believe lies about him, or we think, we think things about him that just aren't true. We think he's doing something that he's not doing. We don't really know him. Either we really don't know him, Or, we're just not bold enough in our faith to take the next step and to walk in it. You hear the voice of Jesus. Will you obediently walk in it? Comply with him? Take that next step of faith. Because you never need to be lost when you've been found by Jesus, right? Doesn't matter where you're at in life. You're never lost. Never. He's always present, right there with you and for you. You never need to be lonely when you have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God within you. It gives you this boldness and assurance that you're not alone. Even when you're in a crowd of people and you feel so alone, the Spirit can fill you to overflowing and take away and drive away that loneliness. You never have to wonder or worry or fear because you know Jesus, the way. He's the way. However, much like us, the disciples heard these words straight from the physical mouth of Jesus, and they still just didn't get it. In fact, you go on here in verse 8. Philip said this. He said, Lord, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Now, back uh, that, up that a verse. What did Jesus say? If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And then what does the disciples say in the very next verse? Just show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that, that, that God is patient and God is kind. <laughs> but think about that. That had to really pierce and hurt the heart of Jesus. That had to kill him. Way before the cross, that just had to kill him, you know. Jesus just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip said, just show us the Father. That'll be enough. What was Philip saying? Jesus, right now, you're not enough for me. Because he was going to be physically leaving him. How many times do we say, by our thoughts, by our actions, by our attitudes, Jesus, you're not enough. I I need more right now. I need to see more. I know what you said. I can quote your word, I can quote your promises, but Jesus, right now I need more. And all the while, Jesus is sitting on the throne of king of kings and lord of lords with all power and all authority to do all things. And he's like, just get to know me. Am I not enough for you? Am I not enough? Jesus answered, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you for such a long time time. But you see, isn't that true? It doesn't matter how many years, how many years you claim to be saved, do you really know Jesus? Because Philip didn't. We can still miss it no matter how many decades we've been walking with Christ. We, we can still have areas of, of Jesus that we still don't know, that we still don't understand. We can still truly not understand Jesus and therefore not know the way and feel lost and feel lonely and feel abandoned and feel all those feelings that we get, right? We feel those things because we don't really know something about Jesus. And so instead of getting down and embittered and, you know, like really just doubting and questioning if God's even there, if he's even hearing you, ask him. Jesus never backed down from a bold question, Just boldly ask Jesus, what's happening here? What's going on? Because right now I'm just not feeling it. Just be honest and blunt and question him. Let him answer. Because Jesus answered Philip. He answered, um, who was it that questioned him initially? I think it was Peter. He, He answered him. And he said to Philip, Lord, you know, Philip, don't you know me? Even though I've been among you such a long time. Jesus went on and he said again, anyone... Who has seen me has seen the Father. He went on in verse 9 and said that. So then Jesus like so how can you even say show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? These words that I'm saying to you, because that was really the truth. He was doubting the words that Jesus was saying. He didn't really know him. He really didn't understand what was happening here. Jesus said the words that I say to you, I don't speak them on my own authority. These aren't just my own empty words. He said, rather, it's the Father who is living in me, who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Again, God is one. Father, Son, Spirit. You've seen one, you've seen them all. They're all one. Three different persons of the same God. Jesus said to believe me whenever I say this, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. He's seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. At least believe in that evidence. Jesus said in verse 12, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, they will do the works that I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these. All because I'm going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything and I will do it. So how do we know how to continue on this life journey from this mountaintop to the next? How are we going to get there? We're going to get there by knowing Jesus. He is the way. He is the way. He doesn't just show us the way in which we should go and say, toodaloo, you know, have fun with that. He doesn't just show us the way that we should go. He's already gone ahead of us. He's already prepared a way. Isn't that what Jesus just said to his disciples? I'm go- okay, I'm going to leave you, but it's because I'm going to prepare a way for you. And the cool thing is, we're living in the days of fulfilled promise, so he doesn't only go ahead of us, he is also with us. Jesus is not only with us, he has also gone behind us. He's our rear guard. He forgives our past sin. He extends mercy when we make mistakes. He extends grace to empower us to, you know, to walk it better today. And in, this, um, you know, in, in these choices, he's with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Jesus is more than just a tour guide through life so that we can just kind of sightsee and kick back as, as he drives us through life. He wants to cooperate with us. He wants to say, this is the way, walk in it, but not budge our feet. He wants us to cooperate and to take the next step. It's an adventure. It's exciting. That's what the day of Pentecost was all about. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we could do the things that Jesus promised right here that we could do. But you see, here's the thing where we get tripped up. Religion tells you you have to look like this, talk like this, act like this. You have to do this, this, that, and the other thing to be acceptable by God. And if you ever screw up any of those things, well, we don't want anything to do with you anymore. You know, you're just the scum of the earth, and you can go go to another church, you know. But that's not what Jesus taught us that this life is about. It's not about religion. And again, this is a cliché This become so cliché. It's not about religion and, and making the right choices. It's about a relationship and getting to know Jesus you got to get to know him in a personal and intimate way so that you know his heart, you know his thoughts, you know his attitudes, so that you know him. Life is less about making all the right decisions and more just about getting to know Jesus, getting to know his righteousness, because you're never going to be righteous on your own. You can never make enough right decisions to be righteous. It just can't happen. The Bible says you were born into sin, so you, you were screwed up right off the bat. <laughs> but Jesus makes it right. Born again into a new life, right? We talked about that last week. Life is less about walking the right way and more about getting to know the way. Because when you know the way, then you're going to walk in the right way. Thomas was concerned about not knowing the right way to get through this life and into the next, where he'd be reunited with Jesus. That was his concern, but Jesus' response was his own concern that after all the time that they spent together, they still really didn't know him. They didn't know the way. Jesus wanted a GPS, you know, map. He wanted, back in our day's map quest. he wanted step by step by step. This is what I need to do. And Jesus is like, all that you need to know is know me. It's all you need to know. You know me and you've got everything you need to make the right choices in life and to be reunited with me. That's all we need. As we face today, as we inevitably walk toward tomorrow through this life, because it just never stops. It's always coming, right? Our hearts shouldn't be troubled. We shouldn't get worried. We shouldn't care about so many things that we get tripped up with in, in this world because we know the way. We know that tomorrow, and I I love this quote here. This is a quote from Joyce Meyer. She said, you don't need to know what tomorrow holds. All you need to know is the one who holds tomorrow. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. You don't know what, what tomorrow holds, but you know who holds tomorrow. He knows what's coming your way. So don't worry. Just know him. Know that he has gone ahead of you. He has prepared a way for you. He didn't promise it's going to be easy. Didn't say it wouldn't be challenging and filled with trouble. But he said, take heart in me because I have overcome the world. It's all about Jesus. (laughs) There's another cliche saying, it's all about Jesus, but it really is. All about Jesus. But it's about getting to know him. When my kids were toddlers, they didn't have to worry about how to get to Butler and how to get into Target and, you know, whatnot. They just had to know me. They were never scared. They were never lost. They were never, whenever they knew where I was. But a few different times, Nate was an adventurous guy. He would walk away from us in a store. And when you don't know, where your father is at or what he's doing or what you feel lost you feel separated you feel alone and he would panic you know well one time and actually he was a little older I'm not going to embarrass him too much here but um but there you know the person at the front of the store actually had to call over to the PA and be like uh is Nathaniel's parents here could you could you come <laughs> and it was only a few seconds it felt like that you know he, we didn't know where he was but there's something about that in life we're supposed to approach God as a child Jesus said not, you know, not to forbid them from coming to him, but we all must approach him like a child. It doesn't matter where we're at, where God is taking us, what troubles we may be going through. We should have this confidence and assurance. As long as we are with Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. That's what God is calling us to be, to come to him as a child no matter what hardships or difficulties or issues we may be facing along our journey, to know Jesus, it's sufficient enough for us to continue on. Because we know that those are just troubles in the night. But if we keep walking with Jesus and we don't give up and camp out in the night or in the valley, we know that victory's on its way. We know that joy comes in the morning. We know that there is a, 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 um, a, a, I can't think of the word for it, but a, a, a nice um, pasture that he's leading us to, and these still waters that we can drink from. We know that he's leading us into good things. We just have to trust him along the journey, right? Most of us are familiar with an incredibly difficult journey. This is what we're going to be ending on here, this little journey that uh, God's people took through the book of Daniel. Um, what I love about God and his nature and his character is because he's already gone ahead of you and he already knows what's coming, the things that Daniel was going through thousands of years ago, they were, they were prophetic, symbolic like occurrences that were also going to happen in the end times. They happened to Daniel. They're also going to happen to us at some point. There are so many end-time prophecies in the book of Daniel that were given in the midst of the challenges that he was going through right then and there. And, um, and we know what they went through. And they went through it all because they refused to walk with God. They wanted to go through the motions In fact, God said that their festivals and feasts, that he commanded that they celebrate, when they celebrate them, they are detestable to him. They sickened him. He wanted to spit them out of his mouth. He hated when they would get together and worship and praise, even though that's what he commanded that they did. Why? Why did he despise it when God's people did what God told his people to do? Because it's not about doing the right thing. He said, they go through the motions, but their hearts are far from me. They don't know me. They seem eager to know my ways, but they don't know me. Life is not about making every right choice and just religiously following a a path that Jesus lays out before you. Life is about getting to know the person of Jesus so that you can be a grown-up. You can make your own choices. You can make your own decisions, but you make them in cooperation with Jesus. Not as as a, a drone following a tyrant, but as a child following a father. God's kingdom is not a kingdom of tyranny. God's kingdom is a kingdom of love and acceptance and You know, what I love about him is even when you make the wrong decisions, what does he do? He picks you up, he dusts you off, he forgives you, you know, and he he empowers you to keep going. You just can't lose in God's kingdom. You can't lose. You can't. Okay, so so God's people in this instance, in this picture of history where we see Daniel and his buddies, they're going through a very difficult journey because they refuse to get to know God they just wanted, they wanted his blessing by doing the right thing. They wanted the blessing. They didn't want to get to know him. And because of that, God said, okay, you don't want to know me? You think you got it all figured out? You think you know what's right for you in this life? Live it. It's the hardest thing for any father to do to his children. To let them go their own way make their mistakes, knowing that it's going to be hard, knowing that they may not even make it through. A lot of people died in exile, never got to experience the abundant life that God had promised. As soon as God lifted his covering, his protection, his blessing, and let them walk their own way... Because he got tired of trying, remember that picture in, Je- in Jerusalem where Jesus is like, how long? I've longed to gather you like a mother hen, you know, but you just wouldn't come. He got tired of trying to herd the men, so he said, just go your own way. And immediately their enemy came rushing in, stole everything from them, even precious things, In the Holy of Holies, God allowed them to be stolen because it wasn't about a box with gold on it. It was about his presence and they were missing it. So God allowed everything to be stolen from them to show them what this life is about. Just about knowing him, knowing his ways. It's about a relationship with him. And so this is what happened here, and I'm going to start in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to jump around just for time's sake. So King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, we love Babylonians, don't we? They're always a symbolic, prophetic picture of God's enemies. The Antichrist will rise up in the end days. And so King Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he ordered the chief of his court officials to bring into his service... Some of the Israelites, who were God's people, from the royal family and the nobility. Let's talk about slap in the face. The noble family who were the, the royalty over the nation of Israel, now they're being forced into the family and into the kingship and the lordship of their enemy. Whew. But we'll see why he did this. It's smart... King Nebuchadnezzar was a smart man. He had a lot of issues, a lot of issues of pride, but he was a smart man. That's how he became the greatest, you know, nation on the face of the earth at that time. So he said, so bring into the king's service, some of these arise from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect. Thank you, Lord, I would have been excluded. (laughs) Handsome. Yep. (laughs) I was safe. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language, the literature, the culture of the Babylonians. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Judah the lion, the lion of Judah, Jesus himself. Some of them were brought in from the tribe of Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It's the last time that you see their names mentioned throughout the book of Daniel, I think. Check me on it. I might be lying. I think it's the last time you see those names. Because the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, his name was Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them... They had a quiz bowl team. Oh. Megan! They had a quiz bowl team. Um, (laughs) She heard enough. She gone. He found them ten times better than all the magicians, all the enchanters in his whole kingdom. And most of us are familiar with the historical event. But what we're going to learn on this Pentecost Sunday is a lot about the fire within by means of the fire without. The fires you walk through really test and prove the fire within, right? But these were just amazing guys. But think about it. They had everything stolen away from them. They were stripped from their family, from their homes, from their possessions. They were forced to, take, to learn new things that they didn't want to learn. They were forced to take on a new culture that they found offensive. They disagreed with everything about it. They were even stripped of their names. And if you don't know Jewish culture, when you were given a name as a Hebrew, it carried your life's meaning and your life's purpose. All that was stripped away by Nebuchadnezzar, and he gave them a new name, a new purpose. Nebuchadnezzar then had this great idea. He had these great ideas of setting up a golden image, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. He proclaimed that anytime time they hear the sound of music, they were to bow down and worship that idol. Anyone who refused to do so would be executed by getting thrown into this blazing furnace. Now Daniel, Hadaniah, Mishael, and Azariah, they had complied as much as they could to honor their king. And that is something that us as Christians need to get a better understanding of. How to walk this life the way that God is calling us to, they were able to comply with all these things they disagreed with up to certain points. There were some hard lines they would not cross. They would not eat the food that was given to them from the king's table because God commanded that they not. There were black and white lines, and sometimes we make black and white what's really gray and an arguable matter, right? So they wouldn't eat the king. And and they did it very graciously, though. They didn't say, we ain't eating any of this. Just kill us now. They said, I'll tell you what. We don't want to eat any of that because our God has told us not to. So let's test this thing out. Let us eat the foods we are called to eat by our God. You guys eat whatever you want. Check out the results at the end. At the end, these guys were buff. I mean, you thought they were handsome before when they were called off, you know, and and this was another instance where a line was drawn. Because they were commanded to worship only one Lord. They were to bow down and to worship only one. And so here comes another hard black and white line. They couldn't do it. I mean, they were willing to take on new names, speak a new language, take on all this culture of Babylon, their enemies. It was despicable to them. They took it all on, but they could not bow down and worship this God. This God. When it came to honoring God versus honoring the king, they would do, they would honor the king, honor the king, honor the king, serve the king, make the king successful, up until the point that the two conflicted. Then they had to honor God. They had to obey God. And so some troublemakers, the Chaldeans, which they're demonic people of the time, they denounced the Jews and they called out this refusal to bow down before the king. They were tattletales. They were tattletales. They did. They went straight to the king and tattled on them. But here's what I want to encourage you in. When people make fun of you and poke at you and criticize you for some of the decisions you make, when you just won't bow down and live the way that they want you to live, be encouraged. Be encouraged. They're noticing your journey. They're watching your life. They're seeing that there's something different about you. That means you're making a huge impact on their lives. So keep up the good work. Keep following Christ. Keep letting them poke fun and make fun of you. Take it as a good soldier of Christ, right? In fact, when the Chaldeans made trouble for these godly men, all that it was doing was setting the stage for God to prove himself through their troubles. So just expect God to do the same for you. He will use your life to prove himself and who he truly is. You don't have to live a perfect life to reveal the goodness of God. In fact, our weaknesses, our mistakes, our issues can do more to show God's faithfulness, his righteousness, and fulfilling all of his promises than any areas that we excel into others. That should be a big relief, right? Think about this. This is how you experience the kingdom of God. You you can't experience and, 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 and get to know Jesus as your healer unless there's some area of sickness or disease or something, right? You can't experience and know the provision of God unless you have a great need that you can't meet any other way. You can't experience the deliverance of God setting you free unless you are so bound that nothing else can do it. You can never experience the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, without your sin. Now, as Paul warned us, does that mean we should sin so the grace increases? By no means. (laughs) What you've been bound by, don't go back to. But it goes on and on and on and on. All that's happening is the stage is being set for you to get to know God in a new, more powerful way. And that's what happened. I'm going to read now through Daniel, starting at verse 13. So the... Chaldeans went, they tattletaled, king's furious. He knows these people and they know him. Why won't they bow down? Why are they disobeying me? He was in a fit of rage. And does fury and rage ever bring about the righteousness of God and in our lives? No? No, never once, never once. <laughs> furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? That you don't worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all other kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image that I made, very good. We're good here, no problem. But... Butts are big in the Bible, right? But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? It's like the the Titanic's captain. Not even God can sink this ship, right? I love that line. and It's on the bottom of the ocean still to this day. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, And there is a grace... In his, their response, they carried such grace of God that they could, without offending, in the best way that they could, ex- like bring others into an experience with a personal relationship with God. And they replied in this way. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We're just not going to defend ourselves. We're not going to say, we're right, you're wrong. Whatever happens, happens. We just won't do it. It's just not going to happen. They said, if we're thrown into this blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we won't serve your God's. Or worship the idol of gold that you've set up. Then king, I bet that really appeased him, right? Nah. King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude toward them changed. Because they were very highly favored in the service of this king. Ten times better they were than everyone else. All it takes is just one decision to change someone's attitude toward you. His attitude changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. He commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie them up, to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, other clothes, they were bound and they were thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot, That the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them up and threw them in. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men. And they're walking around in the fire. They're unbound. They're unharmed. And the fourth one, he looks like the son of gods. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted: Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Lord God most high. <laughs> come out here, come here, come here, come on. Can you imagine? I mean, the boldness and the confidence of faith that they would be delivered from the king one way or another, whether through the miraculous deliverance in the fire or whether by death. They were servants of what Nebuchadnezzar realized through that miracle. They were servants of the king, but far above and beyond that foremost they were servants of the lord most high so whatever your situation is in life whether it's school or work or in your family you serve those people with all your heart all your soul all your mind you give them everything you serve them wholeheartedly but you're only doing it because you're serving jesus through that and you faithfully serve them even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't like it, even when it makes you do things you don't want to do, you serve them. Until it comes into conflict, direct conflict with what God has commanded you, then you draw that line and wait for the miracle to take place. Either He will grant you miraculous favor. I've experienced that in my own life. I've experienced such favor that uh, company bent over backwards for me. They doubled my salary. They they would refuse to touch Sunday mornings. They would pay extra to fly me around Sunday evening because they knew where I was going to be. And I've experienced times when God was like, time to move on. There's a better place. You know, he's got something different for you. However, the Lord does it, expect a miracle. Expect great things. Nebuchadnezzar then approached, and he called them to come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the stareps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded all around them. This happened in front of the entire nation. Anybody who was anybody on the face of the planet watched this take place. They saw the whole thing. And they saw that not, that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Not even a hair on their head was singed. Their robes were not scorched. There wasn't even the smell of fire on them. Not even the smell of fire. We just had a campfire last night, man. I went to bed smelling it, you know? They didn't even smell like fire. Why? (laughs) Why did this happen? Because of who they were with. They were with Jesus. And his presence covered them and sheltered them and protected them. They were so protected by the Son of God, by Jesus Christ himself, that they didn't even smell like fire. There was this this force-filled bubble of a protection around them. Even though it killed the men who threw them in, the fire didn't touch them at all. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he was a moody kind of guy. There's probably some mental illness that he is dealing with. He changed his attitude like this instantly. He changed his attitude again. And now he said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, they defied my command. They were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or to worship any God except for their own God. And then he decreed that if anybody says anything bad about their God, they did. (laughs) Even though he just did that himself minutes beforehand. But there was another in the fire, right? There was another in the fire and just his presence alone was strong enough to loose All the binding, the strongest men in the army bound them up. And just his presence was enough to loose the chains. Just his presence enough was able to protect them. Their enemies were destroyed by the same fire that they were protected in. More so, the covering of His presence was so secure that they climbed out of that furnace without a single hair on their head singed, without even smelling like fire. There was another in the fire, and that same one lives in you. Holy Spirit, come! Fill us to overflowing fire of God, roar in our lives! Line of Judah, roar! Let your spirit fill us to overflow and come baptize us. Baptize us anew. Baptize us afresh. We want that protection. Jesus, forgive us for making it about all the benefits. Jesus, we want you. If I could have the worship team come forward. Jesus, we want you. We want more of you. Jesus, you know how challenging this life journey is because you walked it. You walked in all of the same temptations and weaknesses that we walk in. Jesus, you know how hard this is. But you never backed down. You loved us enough to come rushing in and to save us to deliver us, to restore to us everything the enemy had stolen. You are the other one that was in the fire.